Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we are closing out our current series, When Waters Rise. We hope you enjoy the word. Good morning. How you doing? It, listen, nobody's, the cold weather's not bothering you, right? Anybody cold? Snuggle up. There's plenty of people in here. Show somebody some love. Well, for those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge, and it is a true pleasure to have you all here this morning. Today, I get the privilege of sharing with you a word that is timely, it is appropriate, it is in season, and it's something that we all need to hear. I just want to remind you, many of you have heard me say this, but I'm not here to give you my opinion. My opinion means nothing. Just be frank. What we are going to do is simply consider the truths revealed in God's word. How's that? Is that all right? Is that okay? I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear a man's opinion. I'd rather hear what the word of God says, right? That's important, all right? Because that's the lamp that guides us, right, unto our feet. And so we've been on a series over the last several weeks entitled When Waters Rise. And what we've been talking about is facing difficulties. Every, 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 everyone in life goes through some challenges, right? How many of you would agree with that, right? Listen, whether you raise your hand or you didn't, that's absolutely fine. But the truth is we all face challenges. We all face difficulties. They feel like storms. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some different uh, people in the Bible and examined their journeys and how they responded to difficulty. What's interesting about uh, the way this has all turned out for us is that we've been looking at people that actually found themselves in turbulent waters. And so in week one, we looked at the life of Peter And specifically the instance when he's walking on water with Jesus. And what we realized and learned from that particular week was that everyone feels the effects of the storm. Don't believe me? How many of you were affected by the snow? Every last one of us. But not everyone has to be affected by it. See, how we respond in the face of challenges is a big deal. It matters. In week two, we looked at the life of Jonah. And what we learned about was the worst type of storm that you can find yourself in. It's the one that you create. Jonah went off doing his own thing, and he found himself in a situation that he helped create. We learned a lot of great things about that. So I want to encourage you guys with this one or any other one, go back to the website, go to the app, check it out on Facebook, whatever you need to do. uh, It'll definitely bless you. Week three, we looked at the life of the disciples specifically when they were with Jesus in a boat. And what we learned is that just because you're going where God is leading you does not mean that you will not have opposition. Actually, the original language in that text reveals that the storm was not just rain and wind and waves. There was actually spiritual forces behind it. And so we have to learn how to overcome these lies and these vices that oppose God's plan for our lives. You can check that out. And last week, we looked at week four in the life of Paul where Paul found himself in the midst of a storm that was against his will. He was there in chains, uh, and he was subject to the decisions and choices of others. And what we learned is that we can overcome in the midst of these challenges, but we have to learn how to be anchored. There's some things that we need to know that keep us anchored. Well, today, we are diving into the last installment of this series, and what we're going to be talking about is a type of storm that is, hey, Siri, you're not supposed to respond to that. She wanted to get in on the sermon. Um, But uh, what we're going to be talking about today is when storms arise within the body. When storms arise within the body. Listen, here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I've heard it said that the body of Christ is the one army that majors on wounding its own. Now listen, I'm not here to shout down anyone, please don't use this as your excuse to raise your flag and say, you see, this is why I don't go to that church anymore. This is why I don't deal with these pastors anymore. This is why I stay away from Christians. This is why I don't dare build relationships. Listen, the truth is that one of the worst storms that you can encounter is the one that happens in the safest place. You don't expect it. You know, we have, uh, 
naturally speaking, we have the ability to prepare for any oncoming storm. We have the ability to see it uh, and to prepare. Here's what I mean. We have forecasts, news forecasts. We have weather apps. We have sophisticated devices that help us. Some of you, you get a little feeling in your knee and you go, yep, it's going to rain, right? Whatever you call that, whatever you use. But my point is that we all have the ability to some extent to foresee a storm that's coming and therefore prepare. See, anyone can weather a storm when you see it coming beforehand. But what do you do when the storm comes from the most unexpected place? What do you do when the storm arises in a place of safety after you've prepared? What do you do when the storm arises within the body of Christ? And today, my my prayer and my hope is that you will receive this message with an open heart and that you would allow God to speak to you and not interpret it as he's speaking to you about someone else. That all right? It just got real quiet. It's all right. Everybody say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. Thank you. You just gave me license to just share some truths with you. Right? So I can assure you that the one place that no one expects a storm is among the people of God. No one expects to be hurt amongst believers. No one expects to be hurt in a place where what we teach and what we preach and what we aspire to and what we live by is love, true love, genuine love, where we receive it freely and where we give it freely. But the truth is this, that conflict is to be expected amongst family. I'm going to just let that sit there for a moment. Conflict should be expected to exist amongst family. It will happen. It will happen. I think of it this way. The closer you get to people, the more apparent their imperfections become. So see, from back there, and for those of you watching online, you see this guy and you go, okay, yeah, young guy, whatever. But the closer you get, you begin to see the grays in my beard. You begin to see some wrinkles. You begin to see some of the scars that I bear. My point with that is this, that the closer you get and you grow within the body, the more you'll see imperfections. And the truth is that we have to know how to respond to those things. The reason why it's one of the worst storms you could ever face is because you don't want to face it. Can I, be, can I be honest with you guys? Can I be transparent? Can I just go there? I could talk turkey this morning. Right? I could talk turkey. It's unfortunate, but we live in a day and age within the church where we are willing to forego addressing conflict because we just don't want to stir the pot. But yet, we live, we live and we leave the body of Christ often with our hearts stirred with unsettled feelings, unbelie- beliefs, and different uh, things that just simmer in our hearts. And so we must address this topic. And so look, today there are many that are hurting in the church because of differences that exist, offenses that have gone unaddressed, abuses that occur within the church. Look, let's call it what it is. We're dealing with men. We're dealing with people. And sometimes we bring our own ideas, our own experiences into this and we hurt people. We create problems, right? And look, one thing that's apparent is is this, that if you're still hurting, if you're still bearing some hurt from an experience within the body of Christ, then here's what it indicates, that you haven't dealt with the conflict. You haven't dealt with it. You haven't dealt with it, and maybe you haven't known how. Now, I don't speak to you from a place where I've got it all together, ladies and gentlemen. That's not me. But what I will tell you is this. I have to face this, and so do you. That's the truth. Every one of us. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you put your trust in God or not, we all have to face this issue of conflict. And so, look, I'm speaking. This is a message tailored to the body of Christ, but it's a message that applies to any, anyone in any situation. And so I want us to turn in our Bibles, and we're going to briefly look at an example from the book of Genesis chapter 13. 
And this is an instance in the life of a guy named Abraham. At this time, his name was Abram. And the reason why his name was different is because while he was following where God was leading him, um, he hadn't gotten a full understanding of what God wanted to do. And there comes a point in his life, according to the scriptures, where God tells him, your name is no longer going to be Abram. You're not going to just be an exalted father. I'm going to call you Abraham because your destiny and the purposes that I have for your life are that you would be a father of many nations. And so we're talking before he has that particular encounter with God. But Abraham was an example of a man who had fellowship with God. God called Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave everything he knew, and to go to a land that he would show him, a distant land. It was a land of promise. It was a land where God told him, you'll settle there and a nation will rise up and you'll be a blessing to all the nations of the world through your seed. And when he did, he left with his wife and his nephew, a guy named Lot. And the scriptures reveal that along the way, Abraham experienced great blessing. He increased Wherever he went, listen, he'd be surrounded by enemies, and no matter what, he always rose to the top, just like you. Maybe you haven't experienced that lately, but that is your story because that is God's purpose for your life. So anyway, uh, this guy would flourish wherever he went. He enjoyed favor with God, and he found favor with men. And as a result, so did his nephew Lot. Lot enjoyed much blessing as a result of his relationship with his uncle, Abraham. So let's read in the Bible what happens in the midst of all this good that's been going on. Genesis 13, starting at verse 5, and we're going to read to verse 11. It says that Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. And so disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. And finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. Verse 9. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. And if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. And if you prefer the land to the right, then I'll go to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. Now, Abram and Lot, as we see, had been experiencing great results. They're both flourishing. They're both on the same journey. And they're in close relationship. But then all of a sudden, disputes begin to arise. Hey, you know what? You can count on that as you get closer to people. You can count on that. Don't let that be your excuse for not being in relationship in the body of Christ. It will happen. It happened to Jesus. It happens to us all. Instead of retracting and pulling away and saying, I'm hurt. And kind of, you know, like a dog licking your wounds over in the corner. and Stay away from me. Right? Instead of doing that, no. We're called to something different. We're called to be the body of Christ. And so, now I know for some of us, in hearing this verse, you're going, I knew I needed to be here today. I got the word that I needed. I'm just called to cut this person off. But before you do so, I want you to listen to Abram's heart. Let us not allow this conflict to come between us. You know what Abram's saying? I don't want any offense, any conflict, any miscommunication, any misunderstanding, any ill feelings, any erroneous beliefs to exist between us that separate us. He says, let us not allow this conflict to come between us. And then he tells them why. Because we're close. We're close relatives. 
because we're family. I really believe that God placed this on my heart because we forget how close we are as a family. Listen, we don't have to bear the same last name. We're just joined by the same blood. We may come from different experiences. We may have different uh, situations going on. We may come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We may have come from different neighborhoods. We may be a different skin color. We may speak a different language. We may look differently. But the Bible says that we are one and all the same because we are one body. We're one body. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you some things to consider before you make the decision to write someone off and say, I'm done. I'm walking away. And I want you to consider that even when Abram and Lot parted ways, they weren't done with each other. They were still relatives. They were still close. See, that's the heart of God. Is that all right? And so I just want to give you some practical things from the Word to consider about managing conflict within the body. Some things that you and I should make sure that we do or that we go ahead and do if we're on the tail end of that issue. And so the first one that I want to talk to you about is before you do what is godly, do what God says. Before you do what's godly, do what God says. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? Let's go to the Scriptures. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Listen, it is so easy to fall into the trap of loving God, but not doing what's right. I recently found myself in a conversation with uh, someone that I know for many years and he's been through some challenges. You know, he's been through some experiences within the body and, and you know, we kind of caught up uh, recently. And when I was talking with this person, he says, man, yeah, you know, I'm here encouraging the body, man, to step outside the walls. And he says, but I just don't go to church anymore. I don't need to go to church I don't need to go to church. Can I ask you a question? Show me that in Scripture. You won't see it. You won't find it. The body of Christ is God's master plan. And when we pull away, we're not walking in relationship with God. I mean, he's still in relationship with us. But what we're doing is we are violating the design. We're violating what he created us for. Anybody here interested in dismembering themselves today? Not one of you. I didn't think so. So why do we dismember the body? Why do we cut ourselves off from the body? Why do we pull away and simmer in our hurts and offenses and our beliefs and our feelings in what he said and what she said and what they did and how bad I've been treated. Ladies and gentlemen, I say this with pure love, but also with truth. That is ungodly. It's ungodly. It's not the way God designed it. And so in this case, what we see is that Jesus is talking to people intent on doing what's right according to religious laws. Let me translate that for you. They're doing what they've learned in church. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be good Christians. We're supposed to follow these rules. We're supposed to act this way and do this and do that. And Jesus says, stop. Before you do all that's godly, do what's right in God's eyes. Deal with the conflict. I believe that if you are truly listening with a heart open to God, that there are some of you today that you will now step into a place of healing because you will do what the Word of God says. It's time. It's time. You don't have to live with hurt any longer. You don't have to hold on to it. Do what God says. 
Do what God says before you do what is godly. The second thing that I want to share with you is this. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. Say that with me. Do it quickly. Tell somebody else, do it quickly. Tell somebody else, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Listen closely. Matthew 5, verses 25 and 26. Jesus speaking says this. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. By the way, that's not just an enemy. That's just someone that you have adversity and opinion with. We're at odds about something. That can be anyone. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I want to point your attention out to something, that the conflict will not end until you do what is right. Until you address the issue and it is resolved. That's what he's talking about when he talks about getting out until you've paid the last penny. Have you ever found yourself lamenting the loss of a relationship because you didn't take the opportunity to settle dispute? You ever find yourself looking back and going, man, I remember how it used to be. And then it all changed. Listen to the words of Jesus. Settle matters quickly. Do it while you are still together on the way. You know where we go wrong when it comes to conflict amongst the body of believers? We internalize a blow. We, con- we come to a certain point of conclusion and understanding as to the nature of a relationship and how it can proceed or it can't proceed. We make our own uh, uh, assessment of the church and people and the body. And then what we do is this. We don't talk about it. We'll talk about it to other people. But we won't address the matter because we don't want to rock the boat. Rock the boat, baby. Do what you got to do. Address the conflict because you'll live conflicted if you don't. You, it'll hurt you. Conflict should be resolved, according to the words of Jesus, along the way. You know what that means? When the Bible, uh, for the most part, when it talks about the way of life or heading in the way, it's talking about more than just two people walking together. It's talking about a manner of life. And here's one truth about life, whether you like it or not. We live and walk and exist amongst people. We coexist. And we are all on a journey together. Whether we want to or not is a different story. But watch what Jesus says. Settle the matters quickly while you are still along the way. As long as you are still in some level of relationship and you can still speak to this person, settle the matters quickly. And if that bridge has been burnt, Build another one starting today. Build another one. Build another one. Conflict should be resolved along the way while we still have a relationship with a member of the body, not after the fact. Not after the fact. It reminds me of a story I read a while back. It's of these two monks, a senior monk and a junior monk, we're both traveling together on a long journey. And at one point, they come to a river with a strong current. And as these monks are preparing to cross the river, they see a very young and beautiful woman who is also attempting to cross. And the young woman asked if they could help her cross to the other side. And the two monks took a long glance at one another because they had taken vows to never touch a woman in their lives. But without word, the older monk picked up the woman, carried her across the river, placed her gently on the other side, and carried on with his journey. And the younger monk couldn't believe that this had just happened. After rejoining his companion, he was speechless. 
and an hour passed without a word between them, then two hours, and finally three, and then when he could hold it no longer, this young monk who can't contain himself turns to the older monk and he says, as monks, we are not permitted to touch a woman. How could you then carry that woman on your shoulders? And the older monk looked at him and replied, Brother, I set her down on the other side of the river. Why are you still carrying her? The danger of prolonging the need to address conflict is that you will bear the weight of carrying it. So we should heed to the words of Jesus. Settle matters quickly. Settle them quickly. Settle them while you're still along the way. And as I said, if that bridge has been burnt, you build it. You build it. The next thing I want to leave you with is simply this, that if you're going to do it, Do it in private. Do it in private. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, again, Jesus speaking says, if your brother or sister sins, if they do you wrong, if they drop the ball, if they do something inconsistent with what the word says, with what you expect from them in the body, that's who it's talking about. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. But watch this. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I want you to see that for the most part in this day and age, even in the church body itself, what we do is we immediately go for the jugular and we decapitate people in our relationships. I'm done with you. I'm cutting you off. But listen to the words of Jesus. If you find fault within the body of Christ, if you find fault in the church that you find yourself, even this one, can I encourage you to do something? Trust the words of Jesus. Do it the right way. Before you go and complain to people about how much you don't like the way things are done and how this isn't working and how I don't like this and she said that and he did this and they do this and blah, 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 before you do all that, Ask yourself this question. Did you take the opportunity to do what Jesus said? Let me clarify that. To do what God says. Have you gone and addressed the matter privately? You know, the scripture says, some of you are not going to like this one. Love covers a multitude of sins. You're not going to like this one either. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love holds no record of wrongs. Listen, if you're still offended, you're carrying the wrong book. You're not carrying the Bible in your heart. You're carrying your checklist of people who've hurt you. That's dangerous ground. And so before you go seeking input and intervention of people, before you go expressing Your distaste with the body of Christ. Just remember this. It is still the body of Christ. Still. Listen, I may not agree with how some people do things. I may not agree with the manner in which certain preachers or teachers or pastors or whatever do things. But here's one thing you will not catch Pastor Jose doing. And I'm not going to say that I haven't dropped a ball on this either. But the Lord has corrected me on this one. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Don't go there. 
And, and mind you, I'm not talking about a pastor or a bishop. The Bible says that you have an anointing and you know all things. That's the body of Christ. We belong to one father, one body. And what we do sometimes if we're not careful is we go public and what we display to the world is a bloodbath. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to that church. Is it any reason why we have more and more people today that are more and more distant to the things of God? We got to get it together. We have to learn how to address conflict. So if you're busy telling everyone or circumventing the process, let me just encourage you with this. Go and speak to them and attempt to work it out. Because at the end of the day, God's equation for the body is a simple one. One plus one equals one. One body. One Lord. One spirit at work within us. So we got to attempt to work it out. This is what Jesus said. The next thing I want to give you is pay attention to where you went wrong. Ooh. Ow. That burns. Pay attention to where you went wrong. Matthew 7 Verses 3 through 5, again, Jesus speaking, says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck, that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Let me just clarify something. These are not my words. These are Jesus. I say that because verse 5 is a strong one. He says, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. And then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I want you to consider this, that instead of focusing on why our feelings are hurt, what someone did to us, and why you're right, you should be looking to where you went wrong. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you're so concerned with the speck in the person's eyes, but the perspective that you're taking in your own view is so strong that it's blinding you to believe that you've done nothing wrong. And what I want you to see is this, according to the words of Jesus, what's more important in conflict for us to address is not what somebody did. It's what we did. Oh, but I didn't do anything wrong. They said this and they said that, and so I got mad. Ah. Well, maybe you didn't initiate it, but are you participating in it? See, that's the log. That's where we get blinded. That's where we get into what I call the right fight. I'm right, you're wrong. And I'm going to fight till the end so that everyone knows and you know that I'm right. And he's wrong. Pastor, did you know that this person did this to me and that person did that to me? Did you know that this happened in this church and that happened in that church? Do you know that they're doing this and these people are doing that and and, and that's happening? You know what the Bible calls that? Gossip. Before we go and talk amongst the church, and when the Bible says, and then go to the church after you've attempted to do it privately and then you went and you got two or three witnesses and then after that go to the church, it doesn't mean that you get up in the middle of a service or before a service and you start telling everybody what the problem is. It's talking about not taking it to the leadership of the church amongst the body and create a space for it to be addressed and if that doesn't work, then be done with that person. Then be done. So I want you to see that the log is more harmful than the speck. And how the conflict is affecting your view is more important. If you don't deal with it, it will blind you. Think about this. None of us wants conflict, but in the midst of conflict, what we aim for is where someone else went wrong. That in and of itself is division. You know what the Bible says? That where there is strife, where there is divisiveness, there is every type of evil at work. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I submit to you. Cut the strife out your life. Cut it out the body. Cut it out the body. I'm, I'm going to say something, and this has nothing to do with my notes, but I, it definitely applies. If you ever have an issue to take up with me, please don't be so naive to say, oh, well, that's the pastor. No, you come talk to me. You come talk to me. For some of you that have been around, here's what you know about Pastor Jose. I'm thick-skinned. I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt me. We can talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out. Before you consider leaving where God has placed you in the body, at least address the conflict. Do it right. Do it right. Don't do it wrong. Do it right. The next point I want to leave you with is this. Speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 2 says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Watch this. To slander no one. You know what that means in the original Greek language when it talks about slander? It's telling us the manner in which we speak of someone and it equates it to evil. So the original word there says evil. And so here's what it, so I'm going to read that again. It says, remind people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards who? Everyone. Listen, the book of Titus was written to Christians and centers around living a godly life through careful attention to the truth. And the term slander directly affects to how we should speak of others. To slander, to reproach, to rail at, to revile, to damage someone's reputation, whether it's true or not. All in a manner that to some extent is malicious. The scriptures say that's evil and it says, don't slander anyone. Yeah, I'm going to go there. I want to point something out to you in this day and age, which takes us outside the body. But hey, if we're called to be the light, then we should be the ones leading the way with this. We live in a very politically driven environment today. And I want you to consider what the word says in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, remind the people. Somebody say, that's me. Right? That's me. That's me too. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good. And then it says, don't speak evil of any one of them. You don't have to like our president. You don't have to like the authorities. You don't have to like law enforcement entities. You don't have to like uh, administrators. You don't have to like your boss. But here's what you can't afford to do. You can't afford to speak evil of them. Can't do that. Not my opinion. Remember, you said you love me. You said you love me. Right? And so listen, when conflict exists with someone within the body, the worst thing that you and I can do is put them down. It's to speak about our discontent about them with someone else. Do you know that that in and of itself is divisive? We have volunteers that come here week in, week out. I think it's something like 80 people that volunteer in this church between two services week after week. And I thank God for them. But here's one thing that I always strive for. Keep the unity of the faith. Keep the unity of the faith. If you're discontent with something, don't start talking to your team members about what you don't like. That is ungodly. It's ungodly. It is not right. We're not doing what the word of God says. Instead of participating with the kingdom, we're participating with the enemy. We invite division. We create it. We can't afford to do that. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says this. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. You know when it talks about the, the words of the reckless? It's talking about someone who gives no thought to the manner of speech and how they say it and what they're saying. I just want to express myself. 
I just want to share my feelings. And if your words aren't promoting healing, then you're actually hurting yourself and others. You're hurting yourself and others. According to Scripture, the words that we speak are worse than sticks and stones that break bones. If we're not careful, they become swords that pierce. The next thing I want to leave you with here is to shut the door to future conflict. Shut the door. Ephesians 4.26 says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The truth is that there is nothing wrong with anger. Anger in in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's what we do with it. And here's what the Scripture is saying with anger. And at this point, it's talking about uncontrolled anger. The King James puts it this way. It equates it to wrath, which is uncontrolled anger. It has no borders, no boundaries. It it's, has no restraints. It's just, I'm going to let loose. I'm going to let it all go. Taking everyone down. I don't care. You need to know how I feel. There's nothing wrong with being angry, but there's everything wrong when we use our anger to destroy. When our anger leads us to unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict, according to verse 27 of Ephesians 4, it tells us this. It says that unresolved conflict leaves the door open to unwanted consequences. Look who shows up, the devil. You may be worshiping God, but if you're lingering in unresolved conflict, hurting, licking your wounds, lamenting. The scripture says that you open the door to the enemy, and guess what? He's got his foot in. And if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in a place you never thought possible. You may be sitting in a church, but you can't receive from one. You can't grow. Why? Because you're walking with the enemy. While walking with God, you're choosing what's destructive. The next point I want to give you with is this, is that we should bear with one another. Colossians 3.13, and i got to wrap up here. I've got like two minutes. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Brother, can I, can I borrow you for a second? Would you do me a favor? You're looking fly, bro. But, but I just need you to come right here, and I need you to just sit right here facing that way. Sit, sit, sit on the floor if you don't mind, and face that way. Right? Scoot on over just a little bit. And I want you to do this. I want you to get up without using your arms. You, you can't use your arms at all. You can't do that, right? I need somebody. Come on over here, Johnny. Come on over here, real quick. Do me a favor, brother. I want you to face this wall, same way he is. And I want you both to do something. I want you to get up without using your hands. Brother, you you wore the wrong pants today. (laughs) Listen to me. Oh, look, look. My man just got real smart. He took the dust off his shoes. He got ready. My point with this, all right, it didn't quite work the way we thought. But give it up for these guys. But I want you to see something. Had you not worn those pants. (laughs) Listen closely. The Bible says this. 
that we're to bear with each other. And what it's talking about is that we're to lift each other up. And you know, on your own, you're limited. But when you start pressing against another and you begin to press upon each other's burdens together, here's what happens. You have the ability to get up. And I want you to see this, that the scripture clearly instructs us and tells us this. That when it comes to the body of Christ, that we should bear with each other. We should be doing that before we ever get to the point where we need to forgive each other. See, what's interesting about this this term here, bear with each other, is that in the original language, it's written and it's relating to the future tense. The reason why I point that out is because before anyone can offend you in the body, you have to make the choice that you will help to carry one another and you will not hold offense. That's how God does it. That's how we should do it. And my last point is simply this as we close. Don't miss God because you're holding on to an offense. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Watch this. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's not my opinion, ladies and gentlemen. The scripture says that you and I can get to a place that if we're not pursuing peace with each other and not walking in holiness towards one another, if we're not looking carefully out, looking out carefully for one another, we can get to a place where we begin to fall short of the good favor of God. It's not that God stops favoring you. It's just that you give up on it. And watch where that favor exists amongst people that care for one another. See, peace and holiness go hand in hand. And without them, according to this verse, you and I cannot perceive who God is. We can't get a whiff. We, we, can't, we can't tap into what he's doing and what he's saying. Offense, especially among the body, it blocks the process of building up. It creates a blockage in the heart and it stops the flow of truth in the life of a believer. As we've learned during this entire series, storms will come in life. And how we respond makes a difference. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize something. That how you respond amongst the body can either propel and advance the kingdom of God can stunt it by the offenses that we hold on to. You can weather any storm in life, even in the body, but we must respond correctly. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. We say thank you for the truth of your word. We open our hearts, Lord, and we expose ourselves to you, Lord. Today, I thank you that your word guarantees us that your word that is like a sword that pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, that today you've performed surgery and that you've opened up areas in our hearts that while they may hurt, Lord, it's to promote healing, it's to bring restoration, it's to restore and build up the body of Christ and build us up and prepare us for greater things, oh God. I thank you that today there is a release in the lives of people. I thank you, Lord, that from this point forward that healing is possible, that from now on what we offer is healing and not hurt because hurt people hurt people. But Lord, we are healed people because you pay Pay the ultimate price for us. Thank you, Lord, for correction. Thank you, Lord, for instruction. Thank you, Lord, for insight. Thank you, Lord, for building us and equipping us. Thank you, God, that you care enough to teach us about how we address these issues amongst one another. It's very possible that there's someone here today, man, and you've been carrying some church hurt. It's very possible that there's someone here that you've been hurt by the church and you were never a part of it. And so you never wanted anything to do with God. 
But today what I want you to see is that God has a plan for healing. God has a redemptive plan. And God wants you to walk in health. If you don't believe in God, but today you believe that God loves you enough and he's speaking to you, then I want to encourage you, whether you're watching us online or you're here today, to make the best choice. One that promotes complete healing of your heart, that undoes your past. It might not change your past, but it gives you a future. It gives you a hope. It shows you a better way. It's a decision to accept the price that God paid for the sin of all mankind, not just the people who offended you. Yours too. And he paid the price for sin so that you wouldn't have to pay it, and he rose so that you and I can rise out of conflict, rise out of hurt, rise out of sickness, rise out of poverty, rise out of destructive mindsets. And so if you believe that today with us, I want you to join us in this prayer. Let's say this together. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. And I believe you paid the price for me because you love me. And so today I declare, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my God. And from this day forward, I'm following after you, trusting you, and walking in complete health. Come on now, we're celebrating what God is doing in the lives of people, but we're also celebrating what he's doing in your life. Now, Father, we leave here thanking you once again for all you've done in Jesus. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. If this message spoke to you, don't forget to let us know by tagging us on your social media stories at CTBNY or sharing with a friend. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.